Hello and welcome to another episode of Pitch Cafe podcast, a place where talent meets coffee. Our very first show of Pitch Cafe hosted, roasted and boosted startup founders from the youth community. We are here to connect you with investors, founders who have a similar interest and a whole bunch of resources to enable startup founders. Startup founders come in different sizes and shapes. They are from the music world, they are from the technology world. And today I'm very, very excited that we have two amazing, brilliant startup founders in the deep tech domain. Neuroscience is very close to my heart because I am a neuroscientist myself and my thesis work was in spinal cord rehabilitation. We, we did cortical stimulation and chip implants to enable people who suffered paralytic stroke to regain their abilities to move. That was one of my favorite thesis topics. And I spent many years learning about this. And what a coincidence. I run into Winnie Johnson and Samir Sahu, who have rolled out a startup in this domain. I could not hold my excitement, but the only thing I could do was get an intro and get them on this podcast. Deep tech is very hard, especially medical devices with lots of FDA regulations and challenges in the clinical medical device space. These two founders are are no stopping. They have given up their uh, full-time engagements and fully dedicated to this cause to help stroke patients. So let's find out what Vineet and Samir are up to in their startup, I Regain. All right, so here we are. So welcome Vineet and welcome Samir. Thank you. Thank you, Veera. It's a pleasure being here. Thank you. Awesome. 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 So here I am based out of Silicon Valley. Every day I run into investors in the cloud, in the fintech, in the medical device domain. So Vineet, what do you have to say to me? How will you introduce yourself today on the podcast? Well, I'm Vineet Jackson, founder and CEO of Irigaint. My background is physical therapy and neuroscience. Uh, My interest in uh, neuroscience and rehab started way back 30 years ago as an undergrad student uh, working uh, on my physiotherapy degree, physical therapy degree, uh, back in Christian Medical College and Hospital in Southern India. And the research back then uh, that I was focused on was largely understanding how the hand function is controlled by the brain, uh, predominantly in primate models or monkey models, so to speak. Uh, that that interest and that enthusiasm carried on, stayed stayed with me and became my uh, uh, more of an obsession rather than uh, academic interest uh, over time, which eventually led us to understand much better how the hand function is controlled uh, in the human system. And not only that, what happens when someone someone's brain is damaged and how do you replace this function Uh, so that these individuals can reclaim their independence and live an independent life. Uh, uh, In short, that's kind of how I would introduce myself. Fantastic. I know you you have a great pedigree. You you studied in Purdue. So we'll we'll go to that phase of your life. Uh, uh, Hold that thought and let's uh, welcome on board Samir Sahu. Samir, please introduce yourself. Thank you, Vida. I really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, my name is Samir Sahu, and uh, you know I was born to be an engineer. I always loved fiddling around with things, breaking things, making things, building things, 
And uh, you know, as I grew up, I eventually ended up uh, being a marine engineer and worked in the oil and gas uh, ships in the, in the oil and gas industry. And one of the good things I learned there is to be resourceful. So basically in the middle of the Pacific or Atlantic, you have no 911. You basically have to make do with whatever you got. You have to use your um, you know, thinking on the feet, resourcefulness and uh, problem solving abilities to make sure that you know, the ship is running as uh, per schedule and all of that. It's a very complex operation. What I'm trying to say is, you know, I learned a lot in that phase and, uh, you know, I was always passionate about doing something bigger or something for the greater good, like helping humanity in sort like big lofty uh, altruistic goals. Uh, but I didn't know how. So, uh, you know, I did my master's of business at Purdue to, to do a career shift. And, uh, you know, there I met a lot of uh, bright medical students, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, good scientists who were working in the medical device uh, and, and medical technology fields. I worked with them as a business student, helped build the, their business plans, spin out companies, raise money, and basically commercializing technologies out of Purdue Research Parks. And um, so I did that for, for some time and then wanted to get some more real world experience uh, in the marketing, sales, and business development side. So I did that with uh, my job at Zimmer Biomed, which is one of the largest musculoskeletal companies in the world. Uh, I worked there uh, as a product manager, as a marketing manager, as a business development person managing a broad portfolio of products. But I always really always deep down wanted to come back to the innovation world and again build something new, something that is really needed out there in the world uh, that can help people. So in my mind, the, the, the mantra that always keeps running is doing good profitably. Because I'm a business person, I understand how to run a company profitably, but it has to have a social impact, a greater good for the humanity. And uh, when I met Vineet, uh, through my connection to Mars, which is uh, one of the largest incubators in Canada, I found the perfect partner on the science side, which is what I wanted, like somebody who knew the science and I can apply the engineering, the business and the commercialization aspects to do something uh, good for people. And uh, this is where we are. Fantastic. So um, I think uh, this such startups are called Zebra startups. You have social impact as well as your profitability and uh, you are also building uh, technology. So that's what you're building essentially. So you have a very, very strong team here. So Vineet, you, you come from McGill and Samir from Purdue and uh, you have both have deep expertise in this technology domain. So at what point uh, did you decide to roll out a startup? You know, what was that moment like when you know, both of your minds met and you decided, hey, let's do something? What was that defining moment? For me, largely, it started as a research interest, right? Where I was more interested in understanding how does the brain control your hand? Why does it control? which eventually moved on to what happens when part of your brain is damaged and how do you reclaim that last damage? But there came a point, it was kind of like a flashlight, uh, where I was working with robotics. Each of these devices would cost upwards of $150,000, $200,000. It didn't make sense because the average individual cannot afford that kind of a device an average clinic cannot afford that kind of a device. And, and, and very few hospitals can afford such a device. 
Um, so as a result, my goal was to, you know, find a device that which is affordable, but most importantly, clinically effective. So people can take the device home and then use it in the comfort of their home. So if you if I asked you, did you know how to play tennis? And let's say you told me you don't know how to play tennis. And then I said, okay, let's train you to play tennis. We got to make you an amateur. You would be required to spend 20, 30, 40 hours a week to get to that amateur status. The same thing happens to a hand function in a stroke survivor. They really need to work on 20 to 40 hours a week. And the only solution is to provide an affordable solution in the comfort of their home. So at that point, I pivoted towards such a device. And the results we got were very, very, uh, um, lack of a better word, fantastic. We could see making a profound impact on people's lives. And uh, around that time, I had this conversation with a colleague of mine. And he basically said, if you really want to make a difference in the world, quit your job, get off the high chair, get your feet wet and do something about it. Um, it was kind of like a wake up call. It was in 2016. And, and from there, it was kind of like no turning back. Uh, it was more like a calling after that. Um, so we registered as a company. Uh, um, I took a year off, backpacked, kind of got my mind into sync, came back in 2017 and started uh, working on the company. And by early 2018, I met uh, with Mr. Joel Liederman. Joel Liederman is Samir's uh, former boss who recruited Samir to the Mars Innovation. And by around end of 2018, uh, one day, two things happened. Joel asked uh, me if I would be interested in talking to a fascinating guy called Samir Sahu, who has a lot of business expertise. And on the same time, he called Samir and asked him a simple question. With that, I'm going to ask Samir to take over. Thank you. Thank you, Vineet. Samir, your side of the story. Yeah, uh, basically, I, I was working uh, with uh, Mars Innovation, which is now known as Toronto Innovation Acceleration Partners. And uh, I got that offer because of my experience with uh, Zimmer Biomed in marketing, sales, business development. And Joel Liederman uh, was the vice president of physical sciences. So he managed uh, a portfolio of uh, various companies and medical technology or medical device portfolio was the biggest in physical sciences. And I was the commercialization manager there. And uh, so when Joel basically uh, retired from the organization in 2016, he still uh, thought he actually retired, but he nevertheless, he is so passionate that he had a false retirement actually. He kept working on uh, helping uh, medical device companies. And one of those companies was Vinit's company. And uh, he basically out of the blue, and at that time I, I was in India vacationing in December. And out of the blue, he gives me a call and asks me a direct question. And he says, what do you know about stroke? And I get a little nervous. I'm thinking like, did somebody get a stroke? Like somebody in his family, like, is everything okay? And uh, so I asked him, why do you ask? I know, but is everything okay? He said, no, no, no. There is a company in, in stroke rehab space. 
So I want to know what do you know about stroke and what do you know about stroke rehab? So I, I get my foot a little bit and I said, okay, this is not a serious medical issue. Uh, so I basically give him some information about another company out of Mars that is in the same space. Uh, uh, they do stimulation rehab on stroke patients. And so I say, yeah, I've worked with that company and I know this is what the challenges they're facing. This is how they're commercializing. And I think, you know, there could be better options. And so we, we chat and he said, uh, take a look at this company. Uh, tell me what you think. So I did my own independent research. It took me quite a long time to get convinced uh, that this is, first of all, the right solution and that there is indeed no good solution out there in the market. Because in my mind, I was thinking, uh, well, stroke is big. Everybody knows about stroke. Everybody has somebody or the other in their family or extended family had a, had a stroke. There is the Heart and Stroke Foundation that, that gives billions of dollars for research, grants, and so forth. And still nobody has figured out uh, an issue with the hand that happens in 70% of the cases. But turns out after my research, I found out that's actually indeed true. And uh, the fundamental challenge was, I, you know, I found out most people are approaching it from a very technology or engineering perspective. Nothing wrong with that, but the fundamentals are not addressing the problem, which is from the neurological side. How do you apply the principles of neuroplasticity? And uh, that is where IREGAND was different. It is different and everything they're doing is completely different. And so that convinced me and I was saying, okay, this is what I can bring to the table. And uh, if you think I'm a good fit, uh, you can make your decision. Uh, that's an amazing uh, pitch. You know, uh, I've always uh, believed that the subject matter experts should drive these deep technology uh, initiatives. If you are, you know, building a robot of a neuroscience or you're building a robot for neuro rehabilitation, you need to have the drive, driving force coming from the neuroscience expert. So it's yes. uh, certainly a very strong differentiator. Technology is enticing, but we are here to solve a problem. And uh, the solution is fitted to the problem, not to the technology. So in Silicon Valley, technology is the hype. You know, a, any new technology, whether it's machine learning or quantum or whatever, people want to fund that. But then um, here you are and you're talking about deep science, which matters. So let's to, to, you know, let's move to the next section here. So Samir was the, uh, you know, the commercialization partner here, but Vineet, uh, what do you think are some of the challenges in commercialization? Why do you think you picked Samir as a fit for your startup? Well, one of the things I've learned in life, uh, whoever you work with, who are you partner with, you need to find someone who has unbridled passion to work on the project. Number two is very comfortable in taking criticisms and not offended by it. And the third is teamwork. Uh, it was pretty interesting. The very first conversation, uh, Ranjit and I, Ranjit is the other co-founder who's not here today, uh, met with Samir. We just, we just clicked. We, we didn't have, it seemed almost like we would have been friends for ages. And, and uh, we've been now working for a good three years. And the three years is a testament to that. We are very 
comfortable in criticizing each other, comfortable in picking up a lag, you know, a startup, you're working morning till night. Uh, and, and, and sometimes you lag behind or he lags behind. And it, it's not a question of, will you do this for me? You just say, I'm stuck on this. Could you take care? And it's done, you know? Yeah. And, and uh, most of all, character. Samir is just a phenomenal guy. Hey, I, if you want to start a company, you want someone like Samir to be there. Awesome. Not just from the engineering side, not just from the commercialization side, but also to be that cheerleader. Because most of the time, you know, someone stands up as a CEO and then creates a hierarchical structure. We have a pretty flat organization here. Uh, everybody picks up and starts from there. And, and, and having, having Samir there, he kind of drove that theory. For me, I always believed in it. Samir drives that theory into that, weaves it into the fabric. So we've been collectively a great uh, uh, team in that sense. Uh, so, and the other side is, you know, you could have all the science you want, but if you didn't have that technology right. actually matching and giving it what it needs, right. you also need the person with the skill set to think. Yeah, it's easy to say, I'm going to go put it in a store and sell it, but what store? How do you sell it? How do you bring it up? How do you bring it to product? I mean, to market? Mm -hmm. How are you going to drive the various partners? Is it a hospital? Is it a clinic? Yeah. And, and, and Samir has been in that space, but besides being in that space, it's that unbridled passion. You cannot replace that. And I think that's, that's what is the greatest thing about Samir. Awesome. So I can see why Samir would want to work for Vineet. Uh, uh, everything we need said he himself is an embodiment of that. I can certainly see that. So with that, there it is, a team spirit. Uh, I can certainly see that. So the team is checked. The problem is checked. Now let's look at the market. So Samir, uh, how big is the market you're trying to address? And what are some of your go-to-market strategies? You know, if the investor wants to invest in you and believe in you, how, did, how do you plan to mitigate the go-to-market risk? Absolutely. Very good question. And, you know, we have dealt with that uh, from many investors. So first of all, um, let me address the market size part. So this technology, even though we are talking about stroke alone, it's, it's a very platform technology. Science can be broadly applied to multiple other conditions, just to name a few, traumatic brain injury, multiple sclerosis, you know, cerebral palsy and others. But in the effort to be focused and laser focused in bringing one product to market, we talk about stroke. Now, let's say stroke is the only market. Within that, you, if you do the numbers, like every year, 15 million people have a stroke and 70% of them have some hand function paralysis. And 10 years, people from 10 years past strokes, because that's approximately the average lifespan post-stroke, have still got the hand function disability with no solution. They're living with that disability. So if you do the math, it roughly comes to 100 million people globally with hand function disability who could benefit from this device. In terms of dollar figures, we could all uh, argue different ways on pricing and other things, but ballpark speaking, the total aggregate market is at least 30 billion. 
and uh, that is just in stroke alone so if you have to add you know traumatic brain injury and other it's it's much larger then then comes the war veterans and the war related injuries which is even broader so uh, it's pretty big market and pretty huge market and uh, that is what we are addressing now uh, on the go to market side so we want we basically developed a strategy of b2b to c why is the case is because you have to think who is going to use the device and how is this going to be used what is the use case scenario in if you look at the stroke rehab pathway post acute care like after a patient's life is saved through intervention and they are stabilized in the hospital they basically go through a continuum of care outpatient care then long term facility then home rehab and so forth depending on on their uh, condition so our point of call would be these residential rehab facilities so it would be a long term care center or a clinic or an outpatient center and we will be selling either selling or leasing or financing the device depending on their uh, their uh, operating budgets and their capital expense budgets and so forth we want to make sure that our device is adopted regardless of their financial abilities and we have built models around that on reimbursement side we can get insurance reimbursement for the device or we can get uh, leasing and financing to make sure these residential rehab centers first adopt once they adopt and they see the benefit in their clients which would be stroke patients then the patients would themselves be actually asking how can i use this device more instead of coming to the clinic twice a week or thrice a week paying for taxi paying for parking and all of that and getting somebody else to help you all of that if they can just take the device home and use it on their own 20 30 40 hours they will benefit a lot so that would be the b2b to c which would be basically paying a referral fee or some kind of channel partnership with these centers so that they can recommend and prescribe these devices for stroke patients and because it's a telemedicine based system it can be used remotely by the patient with remote telemedicine supervision by the physiotherapist or the occupational therapist or clinician fantastic uh, great uh... a uh, great answer samir there are lots of other models i think for this uh, if you look at teladoc livongo um you know they they uh, of course you are a hardware device so hardware works differently and uh, is there like a software counterpart which can use a subscription model which which you you can you know is that what you're talking about as referral yes so our device is basically not a device it's a platform so we already have that software component in fact the brain of the machine so to speak is the clinical protocols which are automated algorithms those are the software and there is also a gamification side to it which basically improves engagement in the patient so they are really excited you know in 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 an interesting term they are more addicted to use the device which actually gives them more benefit so both the protocol side which is the software platform as well as the gamification side can be monetized using saas so software as a service on a per per user per month basis or on a monthly subscription basis either way we have worked on different models depending on who the buyer is whether it's a, a long term care center or skilled nursing facility or individual patient we have those saas models there and that makes the uh, revenues more sustainable and highly scalable but yeah. also uh, basically makes the platform more usable across the spectrum by broad group of stroke patients 
So uh, that's already built in. I, I hope that answered the question, Tim. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so basically, hardware is a small component. The software, which is scalable, which people can subscribe to, which you know you you use for uh, as part of the referral as well, is is uh, you know is one of their strong components. Uh, I know hardware is hard, especially in clinical uh, space. The clinical adoption, uh, you have to go through a lot of trials. So, you know, with that, I want to pose this question uh, to Vineet. So, Vineet, what is it like bringing a hardware device to the market in an FDA-regulated environment? Uh, as it is, hardware is challenging, whether it's, you know, you're building a consumer device or a healthcare device. As it is, it is hard. So now you're building like a complex, deep technology hardware device, and then you have the software component, which is scalable and SaaS-like. So what is it like to, you know, bring a hardware uh, to the market in the clinical environment, FDA environment? Great question, Vida. Uh, the fact that you have such a complex nature of the market space uh, complicates a lot of factors. One of the key important factors we need to look at is our system is a class one device according to FDA, which, which basically means we don't have to go through those expensive clinical trials, uh, rather you register with FDA. Having said that, we still will be doing those clinical trials and the objective of these clinical trials are uh, to make the claims that we will be making over time and also from marketing purposes. So what is, the, what is the use case like? What does your device look? Is this something you can share on this podcast? Like, what is the use case? Like, where do I uh, pin it? What happens when I turn it on? So when you, when you, what you see right, right beside me on this side here, you see a monitor and the device opens up. When it opens up, you've got five little slots for fingers and each finger goes into each of those slots. Because stroke patients have, spasticity, the hand kind of curls up in different directions. The device is made in such a way it could accommodate for anybody to accommodate to any situation. Number two, the device comes to the patient, not the patient go to the device. In other words, the patient is the center of the device. The tablet then gives them step-by-step -step direction. It says, you know, you need to do your finger movement from here to here, mm. this much of force. Mm. And they could, they could use the the, the device to do exercises for the fingers or they could use a game. So we so have, have 16, so we have have 16 different okay. protocols mm -hmm. and these are what we call proprietary protocols. And mm -hmm. each protocol is a separate function. For example, if you lift up a coffee mug, this is how your fingers hold a coffee mug. Right. But if I pick up a pen, the entire way you hold the pen changes. So we have 16 different functions where the hand goes into different configurations so right. you're, you're targeting specific functions as we get the patients recover over time. Fantastic. So this is all mapped on a, uh, some sort of a spectrum or some sort of a signal chart and you're tracking it across time. So it is a across time, a longitudinal data study as well, right? Yes, indeed. Uh, okay. so when, when you think of a patient using the device, uh, they, they could be remotely monitored and supervised by the clinician. So they don't have to go to a hospital, technically speaking. Right. And with consultation with the clinician, the physical therapist, the occupational therapist, they've created a pathway on what they're going to do. I and see. Then they could touch base with them once a month or once in two months through telemedicine, where the clinician can see the video of the individual, see the hand video, see the actual uh, uh, 
parameters of the data that's being processed. If the finger moves X amount of distance or X amount of force, all of those data is collected and that can be seen as graphs in real time. So or just, they could record and see it later as well. I'm just curious, did you think about the virtual reality environment for this? Like uh, we have, uh, you know, people can learn tennis on a, you know, using a virtual headset now. They, they go into a virtual world or they have the TV screens where their movements are mapped on an avatar like that. Did you think about any virtual environments or is it too far? If you, if you think of most of these virtual environment, uh, environments, they largely focus on large muscle groups like your shoulder and arms and legs and so on. But when you think of the hand, you've got like 20 plus joints, 30 plus muscles controlling one hand. Right. So it becomes very complex. But not to mention when someone gets a stroke, they're also disabled and they find it very uncomfortable to wear a goggles and play in that altered environment. But we certainly will be exploring that in future as we move forward to find some uh, more effective ways of exploiting technology. If it benefits the patient, then we need to figure out a way to help them get better. Right. So, uh, you know, uh, um, my next question will be to Samir. Uh, and this is, you know, just an extension of Vineet, what Vineet was explaining right now. He talked about the comfort level of the patient, the usability aspect of it, and why you pick this particular way of building the device. Is there any sort of intelligence or augmentation your device is doing to the patient? Uh, because or uh, augmenting their reality or some sort of augmented reality. I know these terms are uh, over extrapolated, but yeah. you know, the basic meaning uh, you can tell because you're really adding value to the patient here in, in, in improving the recovery time. So what do you think? Is it intelligence augmentation or augmenting reality of the patient? It is definitely distorting reality. <laughs> so... Basically, you're right. I mean, these terms are overused or I'd say abused, but I would keep it really simple and explaining what it does and you can fit in the adjectives as you see fit. So basically what the device is doing is it is catering to what the patient can do at this point in time. Let's say a patient comes, a clinician does an assessment based on their neurological conditions, they can only move their finger two millimeter. So the device understands this patient has currently the ability to move only two millimeter. And it uses that to amplify the range, the force, all these capabilities so that ultimately the patient can grasp something. That's our goal, that they can grasp something. How they do in simple terms is basically they put the brain into a problem solving mode by distorting reality in the sense. The patient moves certain distance inside the device by putting their fingers inside finger cups which is that mechatronic device, but they can't see their hands. They don't know what they're actually moving. The screen gives a, an altered reality of what they're actually doing inside the device. Right. So right. in simple words, the brain gets tricked. And as the brain gets tricked, it is trying to solve that problem. It is making mistakes and it is learning from these mistakes. Think of how you were riding a bicycle. You probably would have fell 10, 15 times. And after that, once you got the balance, you just went with it. Like so that. Yeah. This is simulation. You're creating a simulation and uh, you're extending the experience of the brain. You're yeah. not limiting it to actual. So you're augmenting it. This is augmenting reality, augmenting learning experience. This is quite powerful. 
This right. is quite so you're reinforcing the cortical plasticity using technology. The uh, fact that he says distorting is is reality. As much as the augmentation is right, distorting is the most most more appropriate word. Right. Because as you know, neuroplasticity occurs by error corrections from the cerebellum. Uh, yes, exactly. So, so yes. we distort forcing patients to make mistakes. And as they make mistakes, there's more error correction, thereby helping with greater neuroplasticity. That's why mm -hmm. I think Stamir chose the awesome terminology there. Yeah, I'm getting goosebumps just, you know, imagining the kind of technology you've built and what possibilities it could have. However, that is like the big vision, which, uh, you know, is enthralling me. Let's talk about the MVP. Let's talk about what round of funding you're raising and uh, what kind of uh, clinical partners you're looking for right now at this point in your startup. So let me start with the fundraising. Uh, I think a very important question that you asked. It's probably a key factor for every startup. We're currently raising a $2 million US dollars round as part of our pre-series A. Mm -hmm. And the objective of this round is to bring the product to market, obtain enough clinical validation and clinical, mm -hmm. uh, both through the hospital point of view, like in terms of published data, but also uh, market traction. So you've sold enough number of devices. Uh, so you've got a depth of traction, which attracts the series A investor, so to speak, for our series A round. Yeah. At this point, we've probably we've uh, raised about twenty percent in committed funds, about twenty percent mm -hmm. in due diligence. At this point, there's another thirty percent uh, in soft circle commitments, and we are working very hard to close the round by the thirty first of December, twenty twenty one. Awesome. So awesome. going back to the clinical validation side, more specifically, uh, for a for a medical device to be adopted in the market space. You need more clinicians to look at it, get the feel for it, and understand what it does, and accept it into their into their clinic or hospital or working environment. And and for that, there are two different pathways. Pathway one is the research pathway, which is important. We have quite a few collaborations in place right now. And the pathway two, a lot of clinicians will just want to try a device. They want to try the device on their patients understand the feasibility, functionality, and so on. So those are two parameters that they're looking at as well. So if you know any investor who's interested in the medtech space, social impact space, iRegain is a perfect partner for them. Uh, not only do they make, it makes business sense, but it most importantly makes a social impact sense as well. So you've got an added benefit to that investment uh, portfolio for those individuals. Fantastic. Thank you, Vineet. So uh, that's, a, that's a great way to motivate the investors and also partners here who want to make a difference. With that, Samir, I have one uh, last question for you in the interest of time. What is your product priced at? And, you know, for uh, all the partners and investors, and is this portable? Can it be taken to tier two, tier three cities in India, uh, you know, to smaller towns, or is it just for the US market? Uh, think of it like the size of a small beer cooler. So you can <laughs> one hand, that's about the size and it can be carried, yes. Anywhere you want in small towns, big towns, doesn't matter. It can be carried in car for physiotherapists in the trunk of a car. We've, we've thought through that, uh, you know, by bringing in a lot of clinicians, uh, you know, patients and all their opinions have gotten into this device. 
which is what you see on the background uh, it has a phone interface or is it does it require a separate laptop or a computer screen is self contained so that tablet that you see is part of the device you do not need anything extra to work right. with it's all part of it uh, from a price standpoint again you know it uh, i i would like to quote a number but i'd rather not i'll give you the reason why is because we want to make it affordable and accessible for anybody in the world i can in the us based on their current market dynamics we are looking at an average sell price of approximately 8000 to clinics uh, the canadian market would be different the indian market would be different the volumes will pay a big factor which would add economies of scale we may be able to reduce the price because if the volumes are larger the cost will also reduce to produce the device so that is estimated price right now uh, for the us market alone uh, the other markets would be different i want to talk a little bit about uh, the rental lease and all of those options yes, yes. yeah very, so, good, very good idea yeah so basically again let's say 8000 or 5000 or 3000 that could still be a capital outlay for a lot of people and don't want that to be a hindrance for somebody to use the device so instead we have an option for leasing the device for approximately 200 to 250 dollars right. uh, or you could even uh, you know finance the device uh, through third party financing leasing companies so both yeah. options are there then lastly there is a hardware as a service model which basically means if there is an institution that has a good volume of stroke patients or clinicians we could charge no fee for the device itself but just a user fee on a per month basis per user per month fee which is hardware as a service that makes it absolutely affordable this so, is fantastic you know you spoke about lot of cutting edge things uh, because uh, in india the uh, the narayana health uh, foundation they do the all of this like capital equipment uh, you know there's also shri shankara cancer foundation it's a million dollar machine you know they have different ways of financing renting yeah. and yeah. Uh, narayana health they lease that was a harvard business review case study you know how he built such a low cost cardiac care uh, factory you know, all all over india not just one like hundreds of them so uh, the, the, this is a tried and tested model and i really like it financing and leasing and renting and hardware as a service a, such a cutting edge term i didn't hear it before so great you've got all the things going well for you vinith and samir you know you've got Magill and Purdue, and you've got your deep technology experience, academia and industry coming together. Novel business models, novel go-to-market strategies. So I wish you all the very best. And whoever is watching this, whether you're a clinical partner, a clinical advocate from the stroke, uh, you know, a group, or you're an investor who is itching to fund social impact uh, startups in the med tech space. Uh, please reach out to Vinith and Samir. Vinith and Samir, what is the shortest, easiest way for the audience to get in touch with you? The easiest way is to go to Vinith at idgain.ca or Samir at idgain.ca, or they can get on our website. It's idgain.rehab or idgain.ca. And very, very excited to talk to anybody who's interested in the product, in the investment venture. and thank you so much vida for taking or uh, giving us this amazing opportunity to share our story with you likewise and uh, samir any parting thoughts just uh, help us make this a reality 
<laughs> of course we will of course we will with people like you leading the way certainly these things are bound to happen thank you so much for this amazing session and we'll certainly have you back once again have a wonderful thank you, Rita. yeah have a good day. bye